This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. You're listening to Bookmark with me, Uma Pagan Ampke Pagan. Joining me on the show today, I have with me Bettina Chua Abdullah. She is the director of the Faye Ku Award, and we're going to be talking about well, we're going to be talking about Faye and, of course, the award. And uh, it is an award for the best food writing in Malaysia. It's been going on now for two years, and it is in tribute to uh, the late Faye Ku, who was uh, one of us. She was family here at BFM eighty nine point nine. Bettina, welcome to the show. Uma, thank you. Let's talk about Faye. I mean. You know, I mean, I miss her. I used, she used to she used to come by the office. I used to be her staple Apple fixer person. She'll always have something wrong with the technology, whether it's her laptop or her Apple Watch or her iPhone, and then she'll just kind of shove it in my face and be like, "Fix it." Why is it not working? <laughs> well, that was Faye for you. And and it's interesting you say that. After Faye passed, I met so many people for whom they had a relationship that the rest of us knew nothing about. Right? So I met there someone... There were all these circles. Yeah, I would meet somebody and I said, so, you know, we'd be all sobbing and hugging each other. And, well, how do you know Faye? Oh, um, I, I did kickboxing with her. You what? <laughs> well, I was her kickboxing buddy. And then I'd meet another one and say, oh, I was her glutton buddy. And you met lots of different people like that. And she had this wonderful uh, facility for touching people, uh, you know, connecting with people from, from just about any field, any walk of life. You're right. Um, and I think that is one of the reasons that it made her such a good writer. And none of us knew of the other person. No, not at all. Because <laughs> I bet the first question you had was, Faye does kickboxing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That was it. Like, when did Faye do kickboxing? Yeah. And you know what else she had a great capacity for? Um, she had a great capacity um, for closeness. In the sense that, you know, I would encounter Faye. I encountered Faye for the longest time. I had no idea she was Kusu Chuang's sister. Right? And then eventually I figured it out. And I would encounter her once every few months when she would come back and do these mass recordings for her food show over here at BFM. And our encounters were sparse and far and few between, but we always felt a closeness. Whenever we got together and started talking, it was like we've known each other for the longest time. There was no what you call peacock dance around Faye. No. There was no pretense. Uh, She would connect with people very quickly and just go right into it. And I met so many people who uh, were, had, had come into contact with her in very simple ways, including one who said, you know, I'm so sad. She taught me how to put eyeliner on. <laughs> oh my God, that is another aspect of Faye that I really didn't know. I never thought I met Faye sailing. Right, of course. I met Faye on a regatta. And of course, she went on to sail very many regattas and, you know, is a much-loved um, uh, sailor among the community in Malaysia as well as in Sydney where she lived for, you know, the, 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 the last few years um, of her life. And it is breathtaking and absolutely delightful sometimes to meet how many people that um, she brought so much joy to. And of course, for me, she had this unique ability and a honed skill to talk and write about food, um, which is what I appreciated the most because 
I have a real problem with so much food writing in this country in that it's non-existent or just bad. As did she. Exactly. As did she. And I think that is one of the reasons she became as good as she was. Faye was extremely professional. She set very high standards for herself. We both had in common that we loved A.A. A. Gill's writing. Oh, he's and the best. And when you read that, you sort of read it and sigh and you say, God, that's so good. Why can't I write like that? <laughs> but she did. She did write like that. She did write with uh, a lot of, as I say, attention to the detail. She did care about context. She did care beyond the taste of food. Mm. And uh, that, that, I think, is one of the challenges that we find in our local food writing. The Feiku Award doesn't, isn't just open to Malaysians. It's open to ASEAN right. residents. And that means you might be you know, from Canada and living in an ASEAN country and you can write about the food of the region or any food for that matter. Or you could be a Malaysian living in Ohio and write something as well, which indeed last year was one of the entries that we got. At which point did you decide, we need to do this, we need to do this award? I know... I know a lot of us were thinking that. We were thinking, how do we pay tribute to her life, to her career, and to what she'd started, right? Because it felt like it felt like a lot of unfinished work in the sense that I knew she wanted to do so much with this. And so at which point did you go, all right, an award, that's the way? Probably the third day after she died. Right. Uh, it was very painful for me. Uh, Faye and I had a relationship which was very much a one-on-one -on -one relationship. She was equally good at being part of big crowds and equally good at being your girlfriend. And uh, it was the one thing I really didn't want to slip away. I didn't want everything that she had accomplished and the standards she had set to slip. And so I thought if we could create an award in her name, uh, applying the same standards that she had set in the judging of the writing that came in, that little by little we would be able to build up a body of work, we would be able to set a standard uh, in which we could say, well, you know, the pioneer of really good food writing in Malaysia was Feku. Yeah, because I think that's what's always been lacking, a sense of guidance, uh, whether it came in the form of an award, whether it came in a form of festivals, um, some place where people can look to. You know, um, you guys are doing this with food writing, even writing about the arts in theatre. And, and I think about the quality of reviews and the quality of analysis that we get today. And I don't think we've actually superseded anything that Christian did two and a half decades ago. I, I don't think that exists. And, and I don't know why, because I think that practitioners of the art, I think, are too busy practicing the art. And there isn't anyone writing about the art. Well, I sometimes run the risk of sounding a little bit elitist. But I do Please, think, carry on. <laughs> but, I, but I do think uh, that scholarship is missing at the heart of it. Faye was... A great writer, but Faye was also a prolific reader. Oh, God, she did her research. And she studied. Yeah. So in the last couple of months, I had a, a rather bittersweet task, and that was I was given the task of uh, sorting out Faye's library. And the food literature that she had collected is now in my safekeeping. 
And if you look at the selection of titles she had... What is that like? It's not enormous. Right. It's not an enormous one, but it is, it is so varied. And the thing that I really appreciated was that she had everything from Maggie Beer's magnum opus, mm-hmm. which reflected her Australian uh, sojourn, her Australian journey, to books on culinary artistry, to a scientific approach to taste. So she had, she really did make a point to know her subject very well. And that's what I call a scholar. That's what I would define as scholarship. I would say, Uma, that the, the main problem, if we have a problem with the quality of our writing, it's because not enough reading goes into it. I don't think that's elitist at all. I think if you aspire to be a writer, the first thing you should do is read. Um, I have very little time for people who tell me they're writers. And when I ask them, what have you read recently? They're like, oh, no, I don't have any time to read. And what's the point? There, there is a, my favorite saying to young people who don't read is the man, or let's just say the man and the women, but the man who does not read has no advantage over the man who cannot read. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's not enough to be able to eat food or, 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 or watch a movie or, or read a book. To develop and hone those analytical skills, that comes with emulation, inspiration. All of that comes from reading, from researching, from scholarly activities that you need to do if you, if you want to carry out a life as a writer or as a critic. And that was one of the most fascinating things about Faye. And in talking to her, in, in talking to her about where to have lunch. What do you feel like eating for lunch today, Faye? Do you want to go grab some food? You will get a scholarly analysis of this hot pot place that we're about to go to. And that's fascinating because she lived it. She did. She absolutely lived it. Uh, and it showed in her writing. Yes. It wasn't facile. It wasn't superficial. Uh, it was... Uh, really enjoyable to to read, and it was transportive. Uh, it wasn't. There, there, there are a lot of reviews that you you read, and they are about one dish. Oh, they're inane. After the next dish, <laughs> yes. after the next, with my pet peeve phrase of being cooked to juicy perfection uh, so with a you know, star eating yeah. at the end right <laughs> yes which which is which is a whole other issue that we, we don't really have to get into but i'm hoping that the award is going to generate some interest in the quality of our food writing i hope that it pushes writers to aim a little bit higher to dig a little bit deeper uh, and to be a bit more adventurous and set the bar higher for themselves. What are your expectations from these submissions? I, I, I read all of the, I guess, finalists from last year. It was won by Renee Leng. And I loved her piece because hers was a, a nostalgia piece almost. Well, Renee is uh, Renee's, uh, actually a poet. Um, she teaches at an international school, but really her thing is poetry. And that came out very strongly in her work. She was very... Um, judicious, I think, in the way she set out her piece. She wrote it as a Japanese zuihitsu, which, you know, readers may not be familiar with, but it's really a series of essays. It's a body of writing which uh, reads like a series of fragmented thoughts. And in doing so, there are inherently challenges. If you don't get transitions right between these thoughts, uh, then it could sound like you're, you know, the flow is choked. Uh, 
but she was exceptionally good at it and I think she the, the form that she chose fit the subject matter which was Penang kitchens That's right. and it was a lovely uh, a lovely uh, foray but it's been Suhitsus uh, have been described as as clouds floating through a landscape of, of words and you, you you go through and you see different things and indeed you did get that sensation uh, when you read her piece you went from her mother's kitchen to her grandmother's kitchen to a quick mention oh my aunt's got a kitchen in Australia to the porridge man's kitchen uh, down this street down that street in Penang and it was just really transportive yeah. really evocative and I, what I would consider a mark of great writing is I, I read it again a year later and it's still fresh it still reads beautifully. It's still enjoyable and uh, a lovely piece. What is your expectation then or your gauge? Because I know a lot of awards like this, they try to award writing that almost emulates the style of the person it's paying tribute to. Do you look for that? Do you look for something resembling Faye's voice or is it an open landscape? I would say we look for something more resembling Faye's ethos. Faye, as I said, was diligent. Faye was disciplined. Faye set very high standards. So if you're going to pick a topic to write on, do the research and do it well. And, um, you know, as we know, Faye did a lot of things. She sailed, she kickboxed, she played the saxophone, she spoke French. I mean, she was extremely adventurous as a person. And I think that came out in in her writing. She was not... um, She was... Never really concerned that she had to write in a specific way. She mm-hmm. did justice to the piece, first and foremost. So, yes, there, there, was, there is a style to a feiku piece. The people who have read her pieces and followed her for years will be able to tell that that's what it is. But first and foremost, I think she was exceptionally professional in the way she wrote. But, you know, you would think that given our national obsession with food, given the way we love to eat, given the way we plan our lives around meals, that this is somehow a pursuit that many Malaysians would pursue. Why don't we? Do we not see value in the scholarship of food? Do we just enjoy eating it? Yes, breakfast time is when you plan lunch. Lunch is when you plan tea. Then you over dinner, you argue over whether the, you know, uh, char kway teow at the stall you're eating is actually better or worse than the one that is open in the morning. Um, I mean, I'm astounded uh, in Penang. I live between between KL and Penang now, but I'm astounded at how people know all the opening times of different hawkers. Right. Never mind restaurants. They actually know what time this hawker is open and what time that one is open. So, you know, if you really wanted to eat three chakwetiao meals in a day, you could. You could. Yes. Uh, I, I have. I th- <laughs> <laughs> no. I have. <laughs> uh, well, I think that I think it all comes down to the one thing which in most uh, musings on why things have gone so terribly wrong and it comes down to an education system in which uh, literature perhaps is not given the the um, gravitas, gravitas attention yeah. that is needed for it. Um, but it actually does boggle the mind. There is so much 
it's not just Malaysia, it's Asia. Southeast Asia in particular has this incredible diversity of food. Food is big business. It not, is. Not just the cooking and serving and, you know, preparation of it. Oh, no, the entertainment it, of it. <laughs> all of the television series and the books and all that. And it is um, breathtaking to me that the big money on Malaysian Asian food is being made by people named Jamie and Nigella and Rick. Well, I was going to say, we get incredibly frustrated when the white person, if you will, comes down and starts talking about our food or does a show about our food because there are some things that I find they just don't grasp. And for me, I kind of chalk it up to, I think our palate is very varied because we grew up being exposed to so many different kinds of food. So it doesn't matter if you're urban or rural, rich or poor, you were exposed to Malay food, Chinese food, India, because there was the cheap versions of it everywhere, right? And so our palate kind of got used to various profiles. And that's why I think Malaysians even code switch when it comes to food very easily. I think we cope much better than a lot of Westerners trying to deal with our food when they come visit. And because of that varied palette, I think we're in a unique position to be talking about all of this food. And certainly to be writing about our food. Absolutely. Humans are the only species that tell stories. Humans are also the only species that cook their food. That's right. And so food and writing, I believe, are made for each other. Uh, a plate of kwetiau doesn't have any meaning until somebody eats it or tapaus it, or in fact really rejects it and says, no, this is really not, not up to standard, or shares it with somebody. Why, why aren't more people writing about our food? Why isn't food writing more of a discipline that is taken seriously? Why aren't we producing more food books? Who can say? Uh, it, the, I think there are, just, there are so many elements in, in the um, process of bringing a book to life, as, as you well know. Um, are publishers willing to put faith in a local food writer? Are publishers willing to guide food writers into producing the best they can? Are they willing to invest in the research that a food writer needs? There are so many ways that we could make the, uh, that we could foster we, that we could foster a an industry in which we wrote better about our food, that we, we had better critical an, an analysis about our food. It's done by academics. I was just about to say. Yeah, they tend to do it in the context of identity and um, food and society. Somewhere, I think Faye did a very good job of bridging that gap. She made the writing accessible to the ordinary person so that they could enjoy it. But there was a sense of the scholarship in what she had done. And that, that takes a lot of talent. It does, because bridging that gap is very difficult. Taking academic scholarship, throwing in a bit of pop culture to make it accessible. That's the key. And yes, there's a lot of academic writing out there about local food, but it's inaccessible to most people. A couple of years ago, Ezra and I were trying to do research on the origins of nasi lama. And essentially, we were just trying to get down to the roots of the history of the dish and, and what the dish even looked like back in the day. Like, what were the components of the dish and how it's evolved over the years? I think actually the interesting, the interesting um, response to that is... 
why has it evolved the way it has? Correct. So I am of the vintage that I can tell you that in primary school, my packet of nasi lemak cost 20 cents. Mm -hmm. And when I You're opened... You're not that old. <laughs> <laughs> and when I opened it up, there was rice, there was a little bit of onion sambal. You could count the number of ikan bilis. Of course. And there was, if you were lucky, a quarter of an egg. No peanuts. And peanuts. Okay, good. Very few. You could count them too <laughs> on one hand. That was a nasi Cucumber lemak. was a luxury? Yeah, it was, a very, it was one of those cucumbers <laughs> that the heat had sort of wilted. Wilted. Yeah. It became yellow. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And maybe one strand of kangkong. Well, I think by then, I think that had gone up to 40 cents already. But right. really, that's all, that's all that little packed meal was. Now you have a nasi lemak. Oh. You can have a nasi lemak that costs 40 ringgit. Of course. You've you got know? chicken, you've got it's squid, you've got It's the size of Texas. Beef. Yes. It's a, on, a, on a platter that's the size of Texas. And it's got not a slice of cucumber, but an entire oh. quarter of a cucumber. I mean, you used to eat the nasi lemak and then go work in the fields. Now you eat the nasi lemak and sit in front of a laptop and you're just feeling drowsy, you know. I think the evolution of the nasi lemak is the interesting story. That shows what's happened to a society that shows you know, that we are definitely more prosperous. Are we judicious in our food choices? Clearly not, because Malaysia anyway has become the most obese country in Asia. I'm hoping things like the Feku Award are going to encourage more people to come out and do this sort of work, to study it a little more, to learn about it and then to write about it. It's very rewarding, actually, when you start doing a little bit of research uh, and finding out things and then talking to people. I think it, I actually do think it makes your meal far more enjoyable yeah. that when you sit down and share with the meal that your conversation is not limited to wah, so sedap, wah, shocked and all that sort of thing. <laughs> I think it's really nice to be able to say a little bit more about it and to speak with some credibility or some authority, some knowledge. Uh, that's one of the reasons that uh, this year we split the award into two categories. So last year it was just... The award is very young. It evolves all the time. And uh, last year it was just write, write about food, write anything you yeah. want about food. And what fiction we got, or non, right? Yes, we didn't. We don't. We didn't take fiction. What we wanted was non-fiction, and we didn't take poetry, and we didn't take recipes. Of course, we got fiction and poetry and recipes uh, in addition to a lot of the other entries. But we did get uh, heavily skewed towards the personal narrative. Uh, this is where I grew up. This is what I grew up eating. I loved it. It was delicious. But there was also elements of doing this with family, and that was nice. So that was the personal narrative. The really wonderful ones to read, of course, were the ones which were more reportage. Mm. We got a chap who wrote about Bengali food. We got a person who gave us a virtual dissertation on eggs, every single way you could cook them. Fantastic. And cultures from around the world, including Iranian-style scrambled with dates. We learned oh, that there are 57 types of fish in the Ganges, and the Hilsa of Bangladesh is the most adored. Uh, we learned so many lovely things. Somebody wrote entirely about coffee and how it moved through Asia. So these were the, the, the types of uh, narratives which prompted me to think that perhaps we needed a category which was for reportage, not the personal narrative, which tended to be a lot about restaurant reviews. Right. 
And that's fine. Restaurant review is is an art, is, in, itself. Is an art in itself. It is a, a genre, a subgenre of food writing. But I think to do really good restaurant reviews, you have to be very good with a turn of a phrase. Oh. Otherwise, it's going to just be... There's only be so many times you can repeat delicious and yummy and scrumptious. And juicy and, to perfection. And juicy to perfection. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so two categories. Uh, what are the prizes like this time? Prizes are 2,000 ringgit in cash for the winners, uh, plus Garat Budaya in Penang, the bookstore, is um, contributing 500 ringgit in book vouchers, so you can go and pick up books. Um, I'm going to make a plug for Garat Budaya to say that uh, I've curated for them uh, a new section of food writing. Oh, fantastic. So we'll be... We'll a, you'll, a great you'll be a, It's a great bookshop, but you'll also now be able to go in there and, and get food uh, and get books. Uh, Books which are not about recipes. Uh, you're not going to be able to get, you know, aneka masakan minang there, <laughs> okay. but you are going to be able to to read about chefs and their memoirs um, and uh, people who are exploring Georgian Azerbaijani cuisine uh, and that that sort of thing. Which so you you there's a few books on tea and the empire. Things which uh, have food, sociology, history, memoir, culture. And other than the themes kind of dictated by the categories, there are no other restrictions in length. We do restrict to 2,000 words. Okay, good to know. Um, I think that that's a nice, uh, nice length. Uh, anything longer would be very painful for judges. Yes. <laughs> and there is not a lot of time for judging because the submissions close on September the 30th. And by the middle, by the end of, uh, middle of October, we aim to have the long list out and by the beginning of November, the short list. So last year, all three on the short list uh, were brought to Penang for the Georgetown Literary Festival. That's our home. Thank you to Bernice Chorley, who is a friend of Faye's as well and, you know, had no hesitation when I said, can we have a home at the festival to give out the award? And she said, absolutely, yes. So we will be part of that between November 22nd and the 25th this year in Georgetown. Um, apart from apart from that, there really are no major restrictions. In fact, this year we dropped the age. I had a request last year to allow a 17-year-old to submit because the age limit was 18 and above. Right. And this year decided to drop it to 16. Oh, good. Yes. I'm hoping that, you know, we get sixth formers who are who are doing literature at A-levels, doing English at A-levels, who might want to write and submit something. And next year we can have a youth category. That would make life easy. Hey, Patina, have yes. you ever thought about this? Because I'm assuming, I'm sure you have thought about it, but I'm assuming you get a lot of great entries. And is there value in some sort of compilation? And I don't mean physical because I know how hard it is to sell printed books. Uh, but even online, I mean, where people can read all of the runner-ups and all of the winners and um, as a good way of getting those other submissions out there, even if you didn't win, you know, you are a highly commended Actually, it's interesting you say that. My plan is that at the end of the third year that I would pick the best five from each year and uh, compile them into a little anthology oh, very good. of food writing. The other thing that the Feiku Award is starting to venture into is that storytelling really isn't limited to words. There's photography um, and um, there's graphic novels, and I th uh, one of my favorite series of books is called Oishibo, which is a Japanese manga book, yes. which is where I actually learned the, the best education I got on Japanese cuisine was from these, yes. from these these comics. Uh, and I'd love to be able to see something like that uh, for 
Asian cuisine, in particular Malaysian cuisine. Uh, and I'd also like to be able to start to help somehow nurture some expertise, some facility, and some interest in food photography. So earlier this year, we ran two food photography workshops. Um, the wonderful S.C. Shaker, whom everybody knows really from Grit and Grandeur, which is his, his wonderful Incredible. magnum opus yes. of, of Malaysian landscapes. But not many, many people know that the when he first went freelance as a photographer and independent, that the bread and butter, excuse the pun, really came from food photography. He has something like 25 food cookbooks under his belt. So... Shaker is a dear old friend and was very kind, came on board, ran the food photography workshops, which were quite complex. Uh, one of the things that uh, I wanted the participants to be able to do was not just shoot food on a plate, but think about telling their story through photographs throughout the cooking process. So it was effectively two workshops in one. Right. We had a group of cooks right. who were cooking and being instructed and there were swarms of photographers around them That's great. who were shooting the food prep, who were shooting the cooking, and then who even learned how to style um, style the frame. So we th those went those went relatively well. Uh, we had good response. Everyone had a good time. Great learning experience, uh, and I think we will very likely run them again next year. Well, once again, give me those dates. Submissions close on September the thirtieth. And we aim to have the long list announced by the middle of October and the beginning of November. We should have the short list up. The participants from both short lists for reportage as well as personal narrative will be flown to Georgetown for the literary festival. And that is where we will present the awards. And where can people get more information? Is it a Facebook page? There is a Facebook page. Just, you know, Google fakuaward.com and you'll be able to find it. Fantastic. Uh, Bettina, sorry to put you on the spot, but is there anything good that you're reading right now? This is what I ask everyone. Any good food book? Anything you want to recommend? I haven't been reading them. And as part of curating for Garat Budaya, um, I have come across some really interesting ones with some fantastic titles. Um, the one that I really want to get is a memoir called Blood, Butter and Bones. I've read it. It is fantastic. Yes. Yes. It's Gabrielle Hamilton, who runs a, a, a a kitchen, an eatery, a restaurant, whatever you want to call it, really in New York, which is why I have a problem actually naming it because it seats 30 and waitresses are dressed in pink uh, and it is called Prune. And I, from what I've read, it should have gone out of business a very long time ago <laughs> because she, she's quite a character. But I am really looking forward actually to reading that. Another one that uh, I have read in this food genre category is by Mary Roach. And it's got the loveliest title called Gulp. Gulp, yes. Ad Adventures on the Alimentary Canal. That's right. Bettina, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Omar. I've been speaking today to Bettina Chua Abdullah. Once again, submissions for the Feku Award for Food and Drink Writing close at the end of September. So get to your keyboards and get writing. You've been listening to Bookmark. This is BFM 89.9. Nine. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, .9, the business station.